It's time for episode 90 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, June 3rd, 2015. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, where we're counting down to Apple's big week. I am your host, Jason Snell. And across the country from me is my co-host, as always, Dan Morin. Hello, Dan. Big week, Jason. Big week. Huge week. Huge week. Uh, yeah, so so Apple's developer conference is happening next week. We will do a Clockwise Live next week at some point. What? This and- is the first I'm hearing of this. <laughs> well, good. Pick it with the program, Dan. Uh, and so uh, look forward to that. But we are in the run-up for that, and we've got lots of other stuff going on. Uh, so as always on Clockwise, we have two wonderful guests with us. To my left is... From Mac Power users on this very Relay Relay FM network, as well as uh, you know him from Mac Sparky and the Mac Sparky Field Guides, it's it would be really something if it wasn't David Sparks after that intro, right? It's <laughs> well, David Sparks. Yeah. Hi, David. Wow. Hi, Jason. I, I'm wearing my shirt. Wearing I know the clockwise shirt. shirt. I suited up. I'm here. I'm ready. You are the most qualified guest we've ever had because you're wearing the wearing the show logo on your chest. Our second guest to my left is Mashable senior tech correspondent and the co-host of the Rocket podcast, also on Relay FM here, Energy. Christina Warham. Welcome back. Hello, hello. Anyway, so we should get to it. We each will bring a topic of our own and discuss it a little bit, and we'll be done in less than half an hour. So let's get started. Um, over at The Verge this week, Chris Ziegler wrote a piece that he heavily disclaimed and said it was just you know, he was just spitballing, but he said suggested that Apple. Uh, could and perhaps should and perhaps will inevitably change the name of the iPhone to Apple phone. And although he had some uh, Zapruder-like, you know, conspiracy analysis of uh, how the word Apple phone would appear in capital letters and things like that, um, it is true that the lowercase i seems to be out of favor currently at Apple because it's not the iWatch, it's the Apple Watch. So my question for all of you is, is the lowercase i in general and in the iPhone in particular really history? Or does it still have some life left in it? David, what do you think? I don't think it's going anywhere. They've they've spent so much money building up that brand. And there's so many people out there that know the word iPhone. I don't. I can't see that they change it. If they could go back, I bet they probably would. But, you know, I, I just don't think it's going to change where it is right now. Yeah, I agree. I don't think anything coming out past now will have the i moniker on it. I, but I think that... Uh, it may get phased out on some of the older products as they reach transition points where it's possible for that to happen. So as David's suggesting, like if Apple launches a new music service next week, there, you know, it could, it could conceivably use that as an opportunity to sort of drop the iTunes branding. That said, iTunes is also a really, really big brand. And so it's possible they feel like there's still plenty of, of space to go with that. And it's so recognizable that they don't want to ditch that quite yet. Um, but at the same time, I do think that we will see an evolution away from that, just as we saw that sort of swept in with the iMac back in 1997. You know, uh, I think that there's a there's a sort of a, a, a phase going on here where Apple decided, you know, I has just sort of been it for a while. It was everything. And now they don't need that much stuff that has the I branding because, you know, the I what did the I stand for? Internet. Well, everybody's on the Internet now. Everything's on the Internet. You don't need to tell people that. So I think that, you know, as we've seen with the Apple Watch 
watching the Apple TV, as David pointed out. That's kind of where we're going forward is something that, that relies more on Apple as a brand rather than I as a brand. But uh, I think that the old stuff will get phased out as that transition becomes more and more plausible and they feel like, hey, we want discon- like, to distance ourselves from whatever product we used to have and create a new thing that might be in the same category but is going to have a new branding attached. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I mean, I, I don't see the iPhone branding going anywhere. It's too powerful of a brand. I mean, it's probably, I would argue, one of the most powerful brands in the world, like outside of Apple, outside of anything else, even compared to Apple, I think that if you take like the top 10 brands, iPhone is probably in that list. Um, so I think the idea of getting rid of it is, is uh, silly. Uh, I also think the same thing uh, Dan thinks with, with iTunes. I mean, that's even if people don't like it, it's such a big, well-known thing that to call it something different, I think, would would uh, kind of do them a disservice. That said, yeah, I don't know if I see future products having the eye moniker, at least not yet, but it could have be one of those kind of throwback things, you know, that we see uh, like the MacBook coming back. You never know uh, what they're going to do with that. So um, it's interesting. Nobody's mentioned the iPod, uh, the iPad rather. Um, have we all just kind of gone to the point where we think the iPad is kind of passe? Because I can't even think, I mean, you could conceivably say that, that you could call it the Apple phone, but what, what would you, or you yeah. could call it, you Apple know, the... Apple pad is not going to make it. Apple tablet? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. It, it's, Apple tablet. It's like iPad is the name. The same thing with iMac. I mean, I, what else would you call the iMac other than the iMac? I mean, that just sort of signifies the, the single, you know, screen um, desktop computer. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't see it going anywhere, but, um, I don't necessarily see new products, at least for the foreseeable future using the name. But I also, I don't, I don't get the sense that Apple should be embarrassed by, by the moniker. I mean, I'm with you, Jason. I think they have to hate how many people use the name other than themselves, but I mean, it's at the same time, sort of a badge of honor. I mean, it's, it's Apple. Yeah, I, I agree with all of you. This is a good example of, um, I, I do think, I think David said, uh, if they could go back in time, obviously it's not in fashion now. And if they could go back in time, they would call everything Apple whatever. But the fact is, for launching a new product, using wrapping it in Apple's branding is smart because Apple is such a powerful brand. So Apple Watch makes sense. But for something like iPhone, it's already established. It's incredibly popular. It is, it is most of Apple's business at this point. To change that name would seem like a huge mistake to me because that's how people know it. And we also know that if they changed it, everybody would still call it the iPhone because people call the Apple Watch the iWatch and it was never called that. So I, I think... Tim Cook even called it the iWatch. Yeah, exactly. So the lowercase i, I think is going to stick around, but I don't think we're going to see it anywhere new. And there may be places where it, where it pulls back. I think iTunes as a service is going to remain because it's so established, but you know, taking an app and turning it into the music app instead of I, calling the app iTunes, that could happen. I could see that. And I do think future products are going to be Apple whatever. Um, anyway, that was that, that's good. We'll we'll just have to see. And sorry, Chris Siegler, we don't agree with you, but it was a provocative uh, little piece that you wrote on The Verge. So thanks for writing it. Uh, David, what's your topic? I am so tired of the old TV model, and I'm so ready for something to change. And I keep watching, and I know that you know the technology is there, but it seems that the the holdup is the intransigence of the content providers. And just this week, we're hearing rumors that Apple may have a new Apple TV next week, but it's not going to have the content deals that they were hoping they'd have. And I was just thinking, how long do you think this is going to go on until we've got a deal where we can subscribe to television channels as we want and not have to pay the cable companies and move on with this? Uh, It can't come too soon for me, but I think that the cable companies are going to try to wring every last dollar and cent out of whatever licensing deals they can make. Uh, And we have big companies that have deep pockets. And so I think that they are they are so entrenched 
that they even even just excavating out from under that is going to take a really long time. Uh, so I think we're moving in that direction. And I've actually been pleasantly surprised with the amount of transition we've had and how feasible it is. I've been a cord cutter for years uh, and it's gotten even even easier and even better in terms of what's available right now, because I think people, you know, the TV companies do realize there is a market there and they can make money on it. They just can't necessarily make money with holding all their cards so close to their chest. But at the same time, they're going to want to take their their due. They want to collect every single cent they can on their properties. And that's a hard thing to deal with because they are kind of still the 800 pound gorilla. So I, I think that we're moving in that direction, but I don't expect progress, you know, to be quite as as fast as I would like. I would certainly love to see Apple introduce a subscription service that offers all the all the things I want. But I know, you know, based on the experiences we've seen with music in the past, it's a slow road. And so, you know, we're getting there, but I think we're probably still a couple of years off from, you know, the, the cord cutter nirvana. Yeah, I think it's interesting. There's actually a new metric that uh, that Nielsen and other companies are, are starting to use. Um, in, in in lieu of cord cutters, there's a, a new category also called cord nevers. And what these are, these are individuals <laughs> who, as adults, have never actually subscribed to cable. So they are people who, you know, are graduating from college or are over 21 and um, have never actually subscribed to cable. So they're called cord nevers. And that, to me, is is a, it, talking to people both on and off the record in the industry has been the thing that, ch- that scares them the most, more than the cord cutters are the cord nevers, the people who have never been part of their ecosystem. Um, I, I'm, I'm with David. I think that it'll probably be a couple of years before we see kind of the, the final kind of stage of all this stuff. Um, but I'm sort of also, uh, I guess I, I'm cynical in the sense that on the one hand, you know, um, it, we need to all remember that our cable companies in most cases are also our ISPs. So they're going to get paid regardless, whether this goes over the top or, um, you know, through a, a cable subscription bundle, they're getting paid regardless. And it's usually coming through the same pipe. Um, so that's number one. Uh, number two you know, bundles kind of work for a reason. I think that if people were to really calculate how much it would cost them to, to subscribe to the networks they want and they were to, to do the math, they would be shocked to see that they're probably going to be spending very close to what they would spend to subscribe to cable. Um, the difference right now and where I think, you know, cable has has um, uh, faltered a bit is that most of us, I think, want the flexibility to be able to watch the programming anytime we want and from multiple devices and from multiple locations. And cable hasn't afforded that. TV everywhere works in some cases. It doesn't work in others. But I think that, you know, eventually what we're going to see happen, and I've been predicting this for years, is that we will have the recreation of the cable bundle, basically for the same price, coming through the same tube, but we're going to be calling it, you know, over-the-top internet TV. And it's just going to be a recreation of what we already have because it ends up being so much less expensive to bundle things together and to sell those things at a discount than it does to do the a la carte programming. Because we might say, well, I only want these networks. But then when this show comes out that you really like, or if ESPN is going to charge a ridiculous amount of money just for their you know, um, network, but for $2 more, you could get six other networks along with it. It's difficult to make the decision to say, oh, well, why wouldn't I just pay more and, and get this bundle because I get everything? Yeah, you, um, you, you got it there. A la carte is a dream, <laughs> but it's, not, it's, a, it's a mirage because no, almost nobody wants everything to be a la carte. They, they want it to be, you know, they want to be able to pick this show here, this show there. And if you start buying those shows a la carte, you're spending as much as you are or more than you would pay for just getting cable. So it'll be interesting to see how this all, uh, how this all plays out. There's a, a story today about Showtime bringing its over-the-top streaming 
streaming service to Apple TV as well. I'm sure Apple will have some announcements on this. It's going to be a long slog, but I do think we're going to get there. Um, the rumors about Apple trying to get to the local uh, local affiliates is also intriguing. So I I think it's going to happen. I think the um, the cable uh, the cable companies know that they're going to make money because they're they're also internet providers. So they're going to get their money one way or another. Um, and so I, I I'm actually optimistic about this. I feel like it's actually it's actually going to start happening now because these companies are going to realize that it's not that there's money to be made in old models and not money to be made in new models. They're going to start seeing the money in the new models and go, oh, there's money there. We like money because that's what motivates them is where follow the money. And I think streaming is starting to uh, you know become seen as legitimate. And so I think I, I do think it's going to happen. To, to me, the big gating issue is if we ever get to a point where we don't need a physical cable connected to our homes to get the internet. I mean, if we get to a point where you know community wide wireless works and you know that becomes almost a public utility then all of a sudden everything becomes possible and um i don't know you know when that's going to happen but if it does i think everything gets turned upside down at that point all right that was great we're two topics in it is halftime our halftime sponsor this week today's episode sponsored by dashlane dashlane is a password manager it's already helped more than two million people online if you're like me you have too many passwords you forget which passwords for which site and it's actually insecure to use the same password on different sites because if one site gets hacked then your password is out there for all those other sites too so you want to generate a random password and you want to have it be something that's that's high security so that it is not going to be crashed and different on every site. That's too much to remember. So uh, then you go on the go, you're using your phone, and there's just no way to remember those passwords. You need a password manager. Dashlane is a password manager. It can do all that. You never need to remember or forget another password. They're all stored on your devices. They're always up to date in one place. It's on your computer. It's on your phone. Your passwords are with you wherever you go. Uh, They'll autofill the passwords for you online using Dashlane. Uh, You can use complex passwords so that you you keep that high security and you get into those accounts automatically. You save time. You don't have a, a piece of paper somewhere that's insecure and you don't have insecure passwords stored in your noggin. Dashlane is free. Clockwise listeners who try it now will get 30% off of the Dashlane premium upgrade as well. So you should go to dashlane.com slash clockwise to make sure you get the eligibility for the special 30% off Dashlane premium offer. That's dashlane.com slash clockwise. Never forget another password. D-A-S-H-L-A-N-E dot com slash clockwise. All right. Halftime's over. Dan, what's your topic? All right. So as we mentioned at the top, WWDC is next week. There are tons of rumors about what Apple might announce. OS 10 and iOS updates, maybe a new Apple TV, as we discussed, music streaming, what have you. So I'm curious to know from you guys, uh, what rumor has you the most excited? What are you most anticipating or looking forward to Apple announcing? Christina? Um, I'm looking forward to an, a new Apple TV. You know, I mean, it's been what? It's been five years since the Apple TV second generation came out. And it has been um, uh, three years since the Apple TV three uh, came out. And so I'm really looking forward to the new Apple TV. We've already seen, uh, you know, leaks that it's going to be the center of the home kit experience, which is super exciting. And um, I mean, I just I'm re- I hope that we have a new user interface, because if we look back at the UI, it's still not that different than front row was a decade ago. And I'm like ready for something new. I'm ready for a new 10 foot experience. So um, I'm a big Apple TV fan. Um, I honestly feel like they've fallen behind a lot compared to the Roku and, and the Fire TV and some of the other devices. So I'm really looking forward to a new Apple TV. I'm really excited about lots of things there. I'm going to pick the uh, I'm going to pick the OS 10 update. 
I'm going to say. I'm interested to see where Apple goes with OS X uh, and iOS. Are we going to get that statement that stability and interoperability is key and that they're not going to chuck in a whole bunch of new features? I would really like to see that. I'm also incredibly curious about what they're going to call this thing. I've had a bunch of people say to me that if they're making the new San Francisco font, that is the font on the Apple Watch, into the system font on um, on the Mac and on iOS, uh, they could do something like call it Mac OS X San Francisco. I don't think that's going to happen, but it, I'm kind of intrigued by it. But I still, I want to, I want to know what the next California location is, and I really want to hear what their story is about where OS 10 is going next. So I'll, I'll put that down as mine. I'm going to join Christina. I'm really interested in the Apple TV. I, I bought the first generation hockey puck. I really like it, and my family uses it all the time. I mean, we love our Apple TV, but like because we have the first one, YouTube stopped working for us recently, and um, and I'm just really curious to see if they turned it up a notch. What could they do for us? I mean, are we going to get games on it? Are we going to get, you know, third-party applications? Uh, because we use TV a lot, I just think that will be a really nice improvement, and uh, I'm looking forward to see what they do. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to make it three for four and say Apple TV is, seems to be the most interesting thing possibly to come out of the WWC. I'm, I'm anticipating OS X and iOS updates, but uh, it feels like those products are very mature right now. And so while it's interesting to see where Apple's going to go with that, uh, the more interesting updates seem to come along with the hardware, it seems like. Um, so the Apple TV in particular, you know, as, as David alluded to at the end there, third-party apps on the Apple TV, it's about time. We're in a really weird situation where every other device Apple seems to make is really app-friendly. I iPhone, iOS devices, Macs, even the watch. I mean, the watch launched with essentially third-party developers can make, you know, a limited set of apps and they'll probably introduce native apps at WWDC. That's an incredibly friendly roadmap. Whereas the Apple TV, as Christina pointed out, has been around for years and there's no third-party apps whatsoever other than what Apple sort of does through its weird, it, it's literally a black box as I think I said this week on another podcast. Like you, there's there's these channels that appear randomly at various times. Oh, there's new new content there. So Opening that up and bringing it a little more into line with the rest of Apple's experience, I think would be a great thing. As Christina said, the UI is really old and really needs to be updated. Um, and like David, I have a, a second generation, the first second generation model that is getting kind of long in the tooth, didn't even get the most recent UI update, and we lost YouTube, which is kind of weird. Uh, so I'm looking forward to a new box and a whole new approach to Apple TV. Thank you all. Christina, what do you have for us today? So on uh, on Monday, uh, Tim Cook uh, gave a speech. He presented, I think, remotely to the Washington, D.C.-based Electronic Privacy Information Center, also known as EPIC. And he called out Silicon Valley companies, basically Facebook and Google, although he didn't use them by name, um, for their information gathering techniques and made it clear that Apple cares about both encryption and privacy. So I want to know from you guys, what do you think of, of this approach? And do you think that this is uh, kind of a maybe a sentiment that, that Apple should have been taking maybe sooner to kind of differentiate differentiate itself from its competitors in the cloud space? I so want to call this Tim Cook's epic rant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you know, I look... I appreciate Apple's approach. The fact is Apple's business model of relying on hardware sales means that it has the ability to focus on security and privacy at a level that a lot of uh, companies that are focused on the cloud and on inserting things into uh, content in the cloud and stuff like that. You know, Facebook and Google have a very different business model than Apple. And so this is an advantage for Apple to say, look, we, we, are, we just want to sell you stuff, sell you devices. Uh, your data is yours. So I think he, he's probably 
pressing an advantage there. That said, this is also extremely self-serving. You know, he says it like, oh, I'm not mentioning any names, but privacy is really great. I mean, let's not lose sight of the fact that he this is this is Tim Cook buffing up Apple's image and saying, look how awesome we are. And while I agree in general that this is true, I I feel like he puts it on a little bit thick here. I I, I mean, he suggests in his rant that uh, Google is poised to take all of your photographs and use them in advertising and all of these things that I think are not going to happen and are not true. I think I think he's stoking fear in people about about Google and Facebook, and you know quite right. He's a competitor to theirs and why not make people afraid of them? But I think it overstates it. I think that um, this, what Google's doing giving away Google Photos is much more about um, getting you into their ecosystem so that they can show you ads somewhere else than it is that they have a nefarious plan for your photos. But the way Tim Cook comes off, he's sort of saying they have a nefarious plan for your photos and I don't really buy that. I think, so I'd say there's overstatement here that serves Apple well, um, but is, is is uh, I've seen some people who are like, yeah, right on Tim Cook. That's totally how it is. I think it's I think it's a little bit much. Um, I think he's overstating it. Yeah, I, I join in with Jason on a lot of that. It's interesting to me in the last week, we had Google on stage talking about, hey, we have this photos service. And by the way, we're not charging you anything to store all of your photos, unlike some competitors, right? And <laughs> uh, then Apple gets on stage and says, well, hey, guess what? We're really going to protect your data and and we're going to be the company that doesn't you know, share your information or use your photos to sell ads or whatever. Um, it, it's just, you know, co- each company has its own strengths. And, you know, Apple makes its money selling hardware, as Jason says. Google makes its money, uh, you know, collecting and using information in a lot of ways. So, of course, they're going to have different focuses on this issue. Uh, the interesting thing for me, though, is I don't think this is the, the big arrow in Tim Cook's quiver. It's Apple's big selling point is not that we don't use your data. And, and if that was it, it's not going to help them in the long run. Because looking at my kids, they don't even care about this stuff. Um, but the, I think the big point for Apple is we make great products and we have great services. And so long as they can provide that, that should be what they're focusing on, frankly. I, I don't think they need to spend a lot of time talking about this because I just don't think a lot of people care. Yeah, I agree. I agree that politics is at the root here, and this is sort of an, uh, a, play, a way for Apple to differentiate itself. And, you know, it is a competitor to Google, as Jason said, and that presenting a sort of clear, diametrically opposed uh, perspective is really a great, you know, great way in politics to simplify it to black and white. You're either with us or you're against us. Um, and so you're either in favor of privacy or you're in favor of ads. Like, you know, being able to present the equation that way makes it, you know, really convincing potentially to people to be like, oh, yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, um, so I think that this is, you know, it's a little bit rabble rousing. It's a little bit preaching to the to the choir, to the faithful, if you wish, um, in terms of trying to, you know, sort of put a put a flag in the sand and say this is where where we are and what we're about. Uh, that said, you know, Apple is bad when it comes to some things in like that Google does really well. As as Dave was alluding, they have different strengths. I mean, and people were talking a lot about photos and like we won't sell access to your photos. Yeah, that might be true. But remember last year when all those iCloud photos got hacked? Didn't look great then, did it? So, you know, in terms of what's going on there, there's some damage control. There's a lot of spin. 
I don't think that at the end of the day, I, I think that Apple, you know, does care a lot about privacy and, of course, really, really wants to present that image. And, and this is a big part of it. It's also a little weird because it's not I don't think this is something that necessarily filters out to the average consumer, really. You know, this is this is a speech before a very specific group that has very specific beliefs. Um, and so, you know, you write to your audience to a certain extent as well. So I, I believe what Tim Cook is saying. I just think that, like Jason, he probably is putting it on a bit thick here. Yeah, I definitely think it's putting it on a little bit thick. Um, although I do think it's interesting just the juxtaposition about, you know, how he was addressing his competitors in, in this light. To me, um, going a little bit even beyond, um, you know, talking about Facebook and, and, and Google, what was interesting was how adamant he was about the need for encryption, um, because that's a stance that I think you can actually make in the long run a much greater consumer um, play towards, um, because that gets down to, 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 down to, to uh, privacy, you know, and, and a lot of law enforcement groups are trying to kind of call against encryption. And this is becoming a really interesting area for some companies such as Facebook and Google, who, to their credit, have done some decent jobs with encrypting technologies between how do you balance, you know, the fact that we mine information and that's how we make money versus encrypting uh, your communications and your photos so that we can't turn them over to the, to the police or the government if they ask for them. Um, it, it becomes a, kind of an interesting quandary. And I think having that conversation and having Apple be so adamantly on the record in favor of encryption, um, that I think is probably the best uh, PR line, best PR spin that he can kind of uh, have from this. I thought that was a lot more um, uh, pertinent and, and, and maybe more valuable than trying to say, you know, Google's going to sell your photos because a, I don't think that's true. And B, you know, as Dan said, I don't know how much people care whether they sell your photos or not because they're like, well, shoot, I've got my free photo storage. Who cares if, 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 I, if, if a snippet of, of my smile isn't an ad? Yeah, I think it's actually a, a stronger case to say that um, if you're storing everything in the cloud, I mean, they can't say this, but if, for any cloud service, if they store it in the cloud, somebody could theoretically break in there and see all your photos. So be careful what you upload. And I, I do think it, it it's a stronger point for Apple to say, look, we don't want to see it. Our, our strategy is to do all the processing uh, on on devices and have your devices talk to each other. And we don't want to know about any of it. Whereas our competitors have to look, have to have their software looking at your stuff in order to do what they do. I think that is strong, but I, I think it goes a little bit beyond that to this sort of like, like, who knows what they're going to do with your stuff, which is maybe a little bit too much. But this is a great conversation, and I think it's really interesting that Tim Cook is putting a, a stake in the ground here. Um, well, that's four topics. We have time for our bonus topic. No bonus topic sponsor this week, but I wanted to put in a plea. We've been doing, we've done 90 episodes of Clockwise. We're kind of running low on bonus topics, I feel. I, don't, I can't speak for Dan, <laughs> but I kind of feel like, why don't the listeners submit bonus topic suggestions? That'd be so great. tweet that those to at ClockwisePod, and we will uh, pick good ones and uh, use them in future episodes. So you can always do that, not just this week, but for, for now on, just uh, give us a suggestion. This week's bonus question is, is from me, from listener me, and it is, what's uh, with WWDC coming up next week, what's your worst conference experience that you've ever had, David? You know, I, I was really trying, struggling to find one. I have not had a bad conference experience. I, I'm pretty picky about where I go. I've never been to CES. But um, I I don't have a worse conference experience, Jason. I've always had a good time every oh, time I go to one. Boy, this is becoming like a really positive, uh, happy ending, Dan. Yeah, lo love fest. Bring us down, Dan. 
CES. <laughs> I have been to CES a couple times, and my my favorite story about CES remains being there in 2007 when I was a newly minted uh, MacWorld contributor sent to CES and stand, sitting in a hallway there reading the live blog as Steve Jobs announced the original iPhone. <laughs> so <laughs> that would be my worst conference experience uh, ever. Christina? Um, you know, I, like David, I haven't had a lot of terrible – I mean, I've, I've certainly been to conferences that have been annoying, that, that have been frustrating and, and had aspects where I'm like, God, do I really have to cover this, you know, weird, you know, TV or, or something like that. But I have to say probably the worst or, or, or strangest experience was was at Macworld one year, and this was not a reflection on Macworld at all. But while I was at um, a, an, an event, um, someone who um, has historical significance in the Mac community um, – volunteer to take tasteful nudes of me um he then followed up by email once again with, with, with that proposition i had just become engaged and not only was i hit on um but but the, I, I had the option um i was propositioned for 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 tasteful nudes and that to me looking back I, yeah that's that's probably <laughs> probably right up there with my worst conference experience because what do you right, say you to that? oh man you win <laughs> Yeah, that didn't happen to me while I was sitting in that corridor at CES. Nobody approached me about that. So I think, uh, yeah, that's, that I, is worse. Yeah, that happens to me all the time. I'm used to it now. I'm going to say CES uh, is, is uh, I hate CES. I just do. It's awful. It's a, I don't love Las Vegas, and CES is Las Vegas. I think that it's worst, and that's saying something. And I did at one point have to uh, do an interview with somebody who had just come down from the Adult Entertainment Expo across the street uh, to her CES booth where she was selling. I can't even remember what she was selling. It was uncomfortable um, because I was in a booth full of uh, people in the, in the pornography industry. And although, you know, whatever, you can do what you want. It's fine. It made me a little bit weird, feel weird and uncomfortable. And I, I, I felt like I didn't really need to, it was a, I believe it was an adult app store for the iPhone. <gasps> oh it God. Was, it was, it was, yeah, I didn't write about it is what I'm saying. Uh, also, that time when they uh, they made change WWDC, so the snacks only come during the breaks and aren't out there bet- between the breaks when there are sessions going on, because people used to always talk at WWDC over sodas and stuff if there were not any sessions they wanted to go to, and now uh, the sodas aren't there then. So damn them! Gah! De- defi- that's definitely the worst. It's the worst. Jason. It's not tasteful nudes, though. I have to say, Christina, <laughs> you win. Congratulations. Um, and I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and we're out of time. That is it. David Sparks, uh, we're glad you're feeling better because you had to miss a couple weeks ago. Um, and thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And Christina Warren, thank you so much for being here again. I love loved being here. Thanks for having me, guys. And Dan, that's it. Well, I'll see you in San Francisco. I think we'll all be in San Francisco next week. Yes? You bet. Yes. yes. Uh, and until next week, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. 